You have a little cinemascus, didn't you? No twink He's bonds. A lot of sucking. It is a hoot and a half. It is so weird, and I don't know what its point is, but I love it. If you kill a child, I'm on board with your movie. <laughs> Diamond Dallas Page, self high five, is the real people's champion. Can I be your bratwurst? Please. Do you have a crush on him? That does not narrow it down. The answer is probably yes. I am obsessed with Schrader. I want that man to marry me. Show me that pale brown eye. (laughs) Bring me to your crypt, baby. Is nice, nice derriere. He has a very sweet ass. Very cute butt. Does. I want to see some dong. Not entirely successful. This is an excruciating experience. I understand that you are the Hoover. It's like a Tasmanian <laughs> devil. We hope that this is never a floppy list. That we get you hard. Hard watch. Soft skip. Watch. Skip. Plus. Welcome, one and all, to another edition of Watch Skip Plus, the movie Roo podcast with a lifestyle twist. Each week, my co-host and I will review a brand new film, whether that be in the theaters, streaming digitally, or sometimes simultaneously, and we will let you know if we think you should watch or skip it, and that plus is the bonus review, the lifestyle twist, and it can be anything from our life that we want to talk about, whether that be another movie, television show, uh, makeup line, something we found while thrifting, uh, our thoughts on Diane Weist, it can be anything. I am the Cinemascus just in the red. I am joined, as always, by my lovely podcast partner, Jose, a.k.a. Cupcake, a.k.a. Machine Gun Jelly. How are you doing? Uh, enjoying our weekly Game of Thrones. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> yes. You know, you know, I have friends and listeners, if you, if you don't already know, when we, we do these intro intros, there's usually some in-jokes. There's also in-jokes scattered throughout the podcast. All of which we would be happy to explain to you if you ever meet us in person. Um, but just know that you may not want to really know what some of these <laughs> in jokes are about. But yes, I am doing fine. Um, it has not it's has not been a Diane Weist day just yet. But I don't know. Maybe I'll watch The Lost Boys. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. So maybe uh, it'll be a Diane Weist week, your month, or even your year. So yes, it could be very weasty. <laughs> weasty. <laughs> oh, we could be here all day making weast puns. Uh, but as much as we love Diane Weiss, she is not in today's movie, which is A Haunting in Venice. This is the latest Kenneth Branagh-directed Agatha Christie, Hercule Poirot, 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 adaptation. This is the third in his line. Uh, before we get that, though, we do have some pluses, so I'm going to send it over to you, Jose. Is it Diane Weiss related? It is not Diane Weiss related. However... Um, this is weird. When when I was putting together the below the line um, research or narrative, I thought for sure we had reviewed Death on the Nile on our show. And I literally went back through our list. Not that it's like the longest list in the world, not like the GGTMC, right? But I had gone back through our list and the and I was like, why did I think we did it? Well, it's because we reviewed another detective with an accent with a weird last name mm-hmm. that ends in T, Glass Onion. So anyway, on to my plus. Um, speaking of the Game of Thrones, uh, I last year I had promised Scooter that we would watch Game of Thrones because we had not seen either the last season or the season before that. It, it just became this thing where we were like, okay, whatever. It'll probably be around forever. We'll just get to it. And finally, we watched everything. And after we had seen all of that, uh, 
we finally started and watched the first season of House of House of the Dragon. Is it House of the Dragon or House of Dragons? I think it's House um, of the Dragon. Not, House yeah. of the Dragon, yes. Which is the prequel series to Game of Thrones. I think it takes place something like 360 years before um, the Game of Thrones events. And we got through all 10 episodes. And now I'm actually kind of pissed because, because of the strike season two is not going to be coming into like summer of 2024, maybe even more delayed, but nonetheless we started it and it's weird. There's almost like a sense of history. Like you, as the episodes go by, you can almost see where all of this is playing out. Who's going to be the conniver. And, and, you know, from, from the fact that we already know the hand can sometimes be very unscrupulous and going behind people's back. There's already sort of that cachet when you're starting to watch it. But um, I know that some people have criticized this series, uh, this particular prequel series is not being as good as the game of Thrones. And it's sort of like, well, come on. I mean, as wonderful as game of Thrones was, except for that last season, um, you know, it's actually not bad. And I also like that it's more female centered as well. I do agree with the criticism of the show that there's a lot of time jumps. Like you go four episodes and then it jumps forward 14 years so much so that there is actually like a, a cadre of actors that are played by both younger actors. And then the leads that we actually see for the rest of the series. Um, because I remember starting it and being like, Emma Darcy is supposed to be in this. Where is she? And instead, she's, you know, played by this girl that, I mean, she's attractive enough, but she kind of looks like the bully from Toy Story. Anyway, whatever. But um, <laughs> but um, I do like it. And Matt Smith is in it, who I just, I know, you know, we talked about Bonnie Aarons having a unique facial geography. Matt Smith has a very unique facial geography and a very large head, but I just find him very, very sexy. And so, um, but I love it. I, I really really got into the drama of it and i love anything with dragons i'm a huge dragon fan uh reign of fire i'm looking at you because i love <laughs> watching that movie over and over again ad nauseum um but yeah i i really love it and and, and again I'm, I'm really disappointed i can't start season two already but um i finally finally watched it and i really really dug it patty constantine is in it also great actor and he's marvelous in this as well even if his character is kind of a idiot <laughs> now, but uh you had mentioned you know some of these actors like matt smith and that and i know olivia cook i believe is in this who i like but you yes, also said her. that darcy for married with children is in this did i hear that correctly <laughs> not not <laughs> chicken darcy <laughs> married why, with does, why does he keep calling me a chicken <laughs> married with dragons <laughs> i'm down for this uh, oh my god that would be uh Amazing. Married love, with dragons. Love and dragons. Love and, <laughs> uh, no, so I haven't uh, caught House of Dragons. Bingo, we're singing. <laughs> yeah, it didn't take too long. <laughs> I haven't seen this yet. I, I saw a lot of ads for it because since this is an HBO Warner's property, uh, the debut of this was heavily promoted on AEW, and I'm pretty sure there was an episode of Dynamite where that was like the sponsor, so uh, it got mentioned a lot. It was on like the, the mat and whatnot. Uh, one of the wrestlers... Uh, one of my favorites, Brian Danielson, his nickname used to be and kind of still is the American Dragon. So I know he had a big match that night. Um, so I am definitely curious to probably eventually check this out. 
probably more curious to check this out than that final season of Game of Thrones. Uh, I just, I don't know. I don't have any, everyone's kind of like, ah, oh, it didn't end well. So I'm like, you know, I'll just stop where I stopped then. I think I'm okay. I can just, uh, I can just so, I can do what I do with video games if I get too frustrated. And I'm like, okay, I can't beat this last level. And I'm, I'm older now and I don't feel like wasting my time. Off to YouTube to find out how it ended. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, listen, I, I saw that finale and I was just like, way to ruin an entire series because even if it kind of made sense why did we go through all of this so it's that kind of ending unfortunately but um but this one has a lot of promise and i i I like the intrigue and olivia cook is fantastic i was a little worried because i only really knew her from bates motel where she played this sort of very, very nice character that wouldn't even step on a fly. And then I was like, how is she going to deal with all of the political intrigue and backstabbing? But she's pretty fantastic in this. So Acting, as John Lovitz would say. <laughs> or, as, or as Goldie Hawn would say, I have no feelings. I'm an actress. I have them all <laughs> in uh, First Wives Club. But uh, anyway, Red, on to you yes. with your plus. Well, Jose and listeners, I am a basic bitch. You hear about it this time of year. Oh, we got pumpkin spice everything. These basic bitches. I'm one of them. I love pumpkin. I love (laughs) fall. You put pumpkin spice in pretty much anything and I will try it, Uh, which can be disastrous for me if somebody is like, hey, pumpkin spice cyanide or pumpkin spice, uh, you know, anything else that's deadly for me. Uh, Arsenic. Arsenic. Thank you. Couldn't think of the word. Arsenic and pumpkin spice. It's the long awaited sequel to Arsenic and Old Lace. Uh, (laughs) So on top of all of the, you know, coffees out there pumpkin spice ice lattes that i have there's always an abundance of like cereals so i've got two pumpkin spice related cereals i wanted to, to shout out this week first being okay pumpkin well it's called pumpkin pie spice even though really just pumpkin spice uh frosted mini wheats so basically all it is is those delicious frosted mini wheats they take out like the little vanilla frosting that they have and they replace it with pumpkin pie it's not bad uh I think the texture doesn't quite work. Like once you kind of, cause with mini wheats, like they kind of (laughs) dissolve a bit in your mouth and I actually like them, but they have to have a certain, a lot of flavors don't tech work with them. And this is one of the ones that's a little iffy because it's fine initially, but once it starts to go down, I'm like, I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't strike as well as I think they were hoping. Thankfully Mm. what salvaged this, the one that surprised me was frosted flakes pumpkin pie which didn't sound like it would be good but i ended up going through way too much of that and i think the starting reason is they were smart enough that it's not an overpowering flavor of pumpkin pie it's just like almost a little a hint of it uh so a better aftertaste but man i gotta tell you i i almost hesitated buying this because i tried not to have those kinds of cereals around the house even if I tend to eat cereal, not even in breakfast usually. That I usually just have a banana. But like, hey, later in the day, or maybe if I'm not feeling like making something, that could be what I have as a snack or maybe dinner. You know, I used to have breakfast all the time as a kid, uh, as for dinner as a kid. Uh, but yeah, I, I plowed through this box, so definitely recommend that. And I have two more. I'll just give a shout out just because we're in the seasonal fall area. They're not pumpkin pie related, but every year the Count Chocula, all those series come back. Well, this year they decided to introduce a new character, Carmella Creeper, and this is a almost yeah. like a candy. It's kind of like a candy apple, uh, 
almost, I guess you could say similar somewhat to Applejack's, but it's that version with like the marshmallows. It's pretty solid. It's not bad. And then they also did a, what they call Monster Mash. So it's like your Count Chocolates and all that mixed in with Carmella Creeper. Basically, what we all did as kids, but they're like, ah, we get, we'll just, we'll, you can save the money. We're going to put it all in one box for you. Yeah, not bad. So this is my favorite time yeah. of the year. One, because horror nuts that we are. Horror gets very celebrated in the spooky season, uh, even by non-horror fans, which is always kind of nice seeing all these displays. And two, it's basic bitch season. And I know people are upset because it's starting to creep into <laughs> August now. And yeah, even maybe I'd agree it's a little too early. But listen, the world is a miserable place and summer is a miserable season once you're an adult, at least in my opinion. I don't like it anymore. I hate it. So you make me a little bit happier and make life worth living just a little bit more. That sounded more depressing than it was meant to be. All I'm saying is <laughs> let me enjoy being a basic bitch. That's what I'm getting at. Hashtag team basic bitch. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I thought, I thought for sure you were going to mention uh, someone's return to WWE. Uh, oh, no, 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 no. You know what? I don't even want to talk about that return. I don't know. Oh. Uh, so, <laughs> no, the, the person that returned to WWE, they shall not be named. I'm not a fan, and I, I think it's really, really stupid. Uh, but, you know, yeah. what are you going to do? There's there's a lot of talent. Obviously, not everyone's going to, you know, be to my liking. Uh, but, yeah, no. So <laughs> Maybe he should try movies. Oh. Oh, oh, he! Oh. I thought we hold up a second. I thought we were. Oh, I am sorry. I thought you were talking about. I'll break back the curtain. I thought you were talking about Nia Jax for some reason. I. Oh no! Which uh, so there was a pro wrestler named Nia Jax that returned on Raw. I and a lot of people do not like her. Uh, you know, no. I just don't think she's that good. Uh, she has a good presence, but that's about it. And she's unintentionally and I was wrestling her a lot of people I now I'm realizing you're talking about the rock and John Cena yes. who have both re- okay yeah that's fine that they, they were fun um I I'm sure with the rock if the strike keeps going they may finally do that rock Roman rain match at mania feel bad if for Cody Rhodes if that's the case though who knows maybe they'll just it's two nights now maybe one night Cody will win the belt and next night Roman can beat the rock. So those two. Yeah, that I, was all over. That was all over Twitter. Yeah. Um, Roman Reigns was definitely trending on the Twitters. Yes. So I take yeah. all that back. I actually like the rock. Uh, he was one of my favorites growing up. I've defended him not on just this show to Landon, but also on Landon show. Was it that bad? My, I'm sorry, rock. I did not mean to. I thought we were talking about Nia Jackson, which yeah. the more I think about it, I don't know how you would have known about Nia Jax coming back. Cause that's more obscure, but Sometimes yeah. you surprise me. So now, uh, nor am I going to talk about the merger with the uh, UFC and all that and TKO and so. Endeavor. Yeah, and Endeavor. Blah, blah, blah. There you go. But um, <laughs> actually, I'm going to surprise you with this as well because you're rubbing off on me. Who knew the Cinemasochist was a serial masochist? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> oh. oh, that's because because I have to tell you, like uh, Scooter and I will see these variations of serial, right? And I'll be like, ew, let's get it. And he's like, no, why, yeah. why would we look at something and go, ew, and then eat it? And I'm like, sense of adventure? Yeah, more, so. morbid curiosity. You never know. And <laughs> yes. I will say, though, I did eventually try it. But a lot of those Oreo flavors, even I was like, come on, these don't sound like they'd be good. And it wasn't yeah. good, but I did because my mother wanted to try it. Did try the, the Swedish fish Oreos. Yeah, not good. That, I, I could have told oh. you that without trying it. That that those two do not work well together. And I don't know who thought that was a good idea. <laughs> um, one last brief thing, and then we'll we'll segue to our movie review proper. But somebody at work brought 
Peeps flavored soda. I I didn't even try it. I was like, you know what though? Y'all can have that. I am going because I'm not a big Peeps fan. I did actually try the Peeps flavored. I think it's the one you're thinking of. Is it the Peeps flavored like Pepsi? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like in a yellow can. I did try it because my sister had it. It's not good, but it's not as bad as I was expecting. So now as much as I'm saying, but I would never try. It, it was honestly, there was another Pepsi that didn't, I think it was like Dulce de Leche Pepsi or maybe. And I just, Ooh, like, God, yeah, that sounds awful. Yeah, it was not good. Uh, but it's funny <laughs> that I did try that. Like I wouldn't have tried the peeps on my own just because it's, again, I'm not the biggest peeps fan. Also, it's just, that's not something like, I don't, it, it makes me think of bubble gum. I don't mind chewing bubble gum, but I don't want yeah. bubble gum flavored anything. I was the kid yeah. that when they had the bubble gum flavored, you know, stuff at the hospitals and cough medicine, that made me gag. Like that would make me. Oh God. Sick. It's, it's just, it's, I taste nothing like bubble gum. I hated it. I had to do the cherry. I, I think I'm the reason our local dentist actually asked kids before like giving them the, you know, flavored Novocaine or whatever, because I was just like, no, don't give me the bubble gum. Give me like the mint. What are you doing? Like, And I'm like, oh, most kids want bubble gum. Well, I'm not most kids. All right. Yeah. Bubble gum. More like bubble ass. Anyway. <laughs> that we never mind. <laughs> and that brings us to. Yeah, that brings us to <laughs> Kenneth Branagh and his bubble ass. Jose, uh, <laughs> would you like to talk about the below the line on a haunting in Venice? <laughs> Yes, yes. Also, Ken Brana, where are your lips? Anyway, <laughs> a, haunt, a Haunting in Venice. This is the third film in Ken Brana's series of the Hercule Poirot detective movies, starting with Murder on the Orient Express and, of course, uh, Death on uh, a Death in Death, death on, the, on the Nile. Yeah, on Sorry, the Nile. a death on that's the okay. Nile. Yeah. Glass onion, so, uh, that's what it is. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, a Haunting in Venice. This is based on Agatha Christie's Halloween party. And by the way, yes, I also did a double take when I saw Halloween because it was spelled H-A-L-L-O-W-E apostrophe E-N. And so it's ye old English um, spelling of Halloween, which if you want to know the reason why, Halloween is short for All Hallows Eve, and apparently E apostrophe E N is short for um, evening, and so that's why it's Hallow apostrophe Ean party. Um, Poirot is one of Agatha Christie's most famous and long-running characters. Yes, long-running, thirty-three novels, more than six, <laughs> more than five. Um, He's been featured also in two plays and 51 short stories published between 1920, the first story featuring him was The Mysterious Affair at Styles, and then in 1975 exited through a story called Curtain. And actually, believe it or not, Poirot had a fictional character obituary on the front page of the New York Times when Curtain came out. Um, strangely enough, by 19... Um, by 1930, so even 10 years after Agatha Christie started writing him, she actually went on record saying she found him to be an insufferable character, detestable, bombastic, egocentric, a little creep. And nonetheless, she kept writing this character because she said, I need to give the public what they want. Well, awesome, Miss Christie. By the way, the Christie estate... Uh, there are a number of people who consulted on this movie because the film is actually a wild departure from the actual story Halloween Party. So if y'all pick up that short, uh, pick up that novella by um, Agatha Christie, thinking you're gonna see the same thing about like a psychic, 
Oh no, it's completely different. Um, anyway, our director is Kenneth Branagh. Belfast born, but raised in the UK. Branna is a classically trained actor, having trained at London's RADA, which stands for Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. Side note, he's been their president since 2015. The middle child of three children, his parents moved Branna from Belfast, where he was born, to Berkshire, Berkshire, England, to escape the Northern Ireland ethno-nationalist conflict. That actually was the subject of Belfast, which we will get to later, the film Belfast. In school, he actually trained himself to speak in a British accent to avoid bullying and was a participant in the Reading, Cine, and Video Society, as well as a member of the Progress Theatre. He is notable as one of the new wave actors from RADA, including other alumni such as Jonathan Price, Juliet Stevenson, Alan Rickman, Anton Lesser, Bruce Payne, and Fiona Shaw. They all sort of graduated at the same time. After small roles in series and films in 1984, Branagh appeared on stage in Henry V at the Royal Shakespeare um, Theater, thus beginning his very long association with Shakespeare and theater. He went on to be a huge breakout in the media with his acting and stage directing of various Shakespeare works. He even founded the Renaissance Theater Company before landing his first leading role in 1987's A Month in the Country, which also happens to be the fir- first lead starring role of one Colin Firth. Dude actually wrote his own autobiography in 1990. Who does that? I don't know. He does. But between meeting Emma Thompson when they co-starred on stage in Look Back in Anger and they eventually got married and starring in non-Shakespeare films, I believe his one of his first films he directed was a comedy called Peter's Friends and then come to be known for his lavish and film adaptations of Shakespeare works, including Henry V, for which he was nominated for Best Acting and Best Directing at the Oscars, and Much Ado About Nothing. Sadly, he adapted Frankenstein, directing himself as the titular Mad Professor and Robert De Niro as the monster. But not only did the film land him in movie jail, but it also landed him in marriage jail, because allegedly he carried on an affair with Helena Bonham Carter. Thomas Thompson and Branna eventually divorced, and HBC and he were an item for quite some time. He then directed the film adaptation of Hamlet, starring himself. Boy, starring himself. You're going to hear that a lot. Um, Derek <laughs> Jacoby, Kate Winslet, and Julie Christie before taking a directing break to get back to acting. That respite, by the way, involves him starring in one film called Wild Wild West, mm-hmm. the reviled Wild Wild West, which I, which I love and is one of my favorite movies. Yes, I said it. It's one of my favorite movies. Um, he returned to directing with Love, Love's Labor's Lost, another Shakespeare adaptation, which was unfortunately a critical and box office failure, and it all but cemented Branagh's return to acting in film and television. Eventually, in 2011 and afterwards, this would see Branagh directing more commercial directing efforts. And specifically, I'm looking at Thor, the adaptation of the Marvel Comics hero, which he directed while concurrently acting and also founding the Kenneth Branagh Theater Company. 2014 saw him directing Jack Ryan's Shadow Recruit, a reboot effort of the Tom Clancy Jack Ryan character previously played by Harrison Ford and Batfleck. This time, Brenna was directing Chris Pine. 
2015 saw the live action adaptation of Disney's Cinderella, which he also directed. In 2017, Branagh concurrently acted in Nolan's Dunkirk and also directed the 65 millimeter filmed Murder on the Orient Express. And this is the first of his portrayal of Agatha Christie's famous detective. More commercial films would follow. All is True, a biopic of William Shakespeare, although I don't know how commercial that is, but whatever. Um, the Troubled Artemis Fowl, which ended up streaming on Disney Plus instead of going to theaters. Very, very controversial. Um, I almost said Red Widow, but Black Widow also unfortunately fell into that little stumbling block with Disney Plus. 2021 brought critical and artistic success writing and directing the semi-autobiographical Belfast which was nominated for seven Academy Awards, winning Branna the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay and the BAFTA for Outstanding British Award. Uh, sorry, British Film. This also made Branna one of the first individuals to be Oscar nominated in seven different categories. 2022 brought Death on the Nile, the second film in this series. Sadly, that film um, had you know, languishing sort of like box box office returns and critical success marred by not only janky CGI, if you all have seen it, you know what I'm talking about, um, but also controversy. It's high profile cast included someone we've mentioned several times on this show, primarily because I do love tall, sexy, hairy bad boys with big feet. And, and those that also like to chew on big feet, apparently. Yeah, there you go. And that's the above average acting prowess, possibly kinky, fetishist, trust fund bro, Army Hammer. On to our writer for this film, <laughs> Michael Green. Hailing from Mamaroneck, New York, Green started as a junior developer at HBO reading scripts before turning his hand at writing. His first writing job was a Francis Lawrence-directed pilot that never got picked up called Gotham. Not the comics, but this was about a woman who sees a very different supernatural world around everyone in New York City. Again, it was a pilot, never got picked up. He ended up writing more for television, Sex in the City, Rob Thomas's cult short-lived series Cupid, Smallville, Everwood, Jack and Bobby, Oren Pelly's found footage series, The uh, the River, and Heroes. He would also serve uh, various producing duties on those shows as well. Notably, he's created and written the television shows Kings for NBC, an ambitious modern retelling of the story of King David from the Bible. Yeah, nobody tuned in, people. No one tuned in. And um, worked with Brian Fuller on American Gods, and they had previously obviously worked together on Heroes. From those... Humble beginnings, Green has scripted some very, very big features. The animated, some animated Green Lantern films, as well as the first big budget film starring Ryan Reynolds, Blade Runner 2046, and the associated shorts that went with it. One of the best MCU films ever, Logan, directed by James Mangold. He is also the credited story writer for Alien Covenant, but the screenwriting credit actually went to openly gay and fabulous screenwriter John Logan, the Harrison Ford starring Call of the Wild, which, if you ask me, is sort of the culmination of every Dog Buddy movie and CGI <laughs> created lead roles run amok. Okay. Also, Disney's one of the sorry, one of the last films to release theatrically before COVID shut down. Yep. 
and Disney's Jungle Cruise, which sits unwatched on my massive streaming watch list. And finally, Green has written both Murder on the Orient Express and Death on the Nile. One last awesome tidbit about Green. He is actually a contributing writer to DC Comics. He is the author and co-author of several graphic novels, including Batman, Lovers, and Mad Men. And he co-wrote Superman slash Batman and the reboot of Super Supergirl with Mike Johnson, as well as the Blade Runner comic series. Our music for the film is done by Hildur Guvunadotter. She is Icelandic, like one of my favorite music artists, Bjork. She is, in fact, the first solo woman to win an Oscar and a BAFTA for Best Original Score for a Film, and that was 2019's Joker, starring Joaquin Phoenix. Interesting fact, she has played on her own scores, such instruments as the cello, percussion, dorophone, piano, pipes, and even vocals. She has 31 composing credits, including... Tobias Lindholm's A Hijacking, which is incredible. If you've not seen that, please do so. End of Summer, Tom of Finland, Sicario, Day of the Soldado, HBO's Chernobyl, for which she won an Emmy. She's one of only two women to win Emmys for original scores. And then two stellar woman-centered, Oscar-centered, scented, woman-centered, woman-centered. Sentable <laughs> woman. that out. Please edit that out. No, actually don't. It's kind of funny. But two very stellar woman-centered Oscar-nominated films in 2022, Todd Field's Tar and Sarah Polly's Women Talking, both of which she was nominated at other award shows, just not for Oscars. Our DP is Greek Cypriot, meaning from Cyprus, Harris Zambarlukas. He is Brana's favorite DP weapon of choice. And if you want to hear more about him, you can just go to our episode 51, the Meg 2 open trench waters or whatever the fuck the subtitle was. I don't know. <laughs> I've already the, forgotten about that movie. That's the best subtitle. Meg 2 open trench waters, some fucking shit. We'd like, come see it. <laughs> <laughs> and. And our notable producers are Branna himself and Judy Hoffland, who's been a producing partner with him on films like As You Like It, Artemis Fowl, and All Is True. And then, of course, this is odd, Ridley Scott and Simon Kinberg produced this. Um, and I've mentioned Simon Kinberg before because I'm completely in love with him and I love him as a screenwriter. And Ridley Scott, I mean, listen, if you don't know who Ridley Scott is, then this podcast might not be for you. Yeah. And over to Red yeah. for the cast. Yeah, before I get to the cast, I too was surprised when I saw Ridley Scott's name pop up in the end credits. So it was very, yeah. very nice, did you get, though. Did you get a Napoleon trailer before the show? I, did I, not, did. I didn't get any trailer. So uh, <laughs> I don't know what happened. I, I think I texted you. So maybe I didn't. But like, so our, before I get to the cast, our screenings have been shorter. Like the, I've complained that usually takes 20 to 25 minutes after the actual posted yeah. screen time till the movie starts. The movie is supposed to start at 6.30. It started at 6.40. All I got was pre-show ads and no trailer. So I don't know what's up with my regal. Wow. Not complaining. I just, I assumed I would have gotten a Napoleon trailer. And I didn't. So, I mean, the only so thing. So you got that going for you. Oh, don't you dare. Because we don't have that goddamn thing. <laughs> How dare you. I will end this podcast. <laughs> don't you dare. I will turn this podcast around. <laughs> Go home. Uh, I will not. We will we will trudge on. We did the follow the line. Let's do above the line. And we will start go. with the, the connection between the two, that being Kenneth Branagh returning as Hikube Royal. Uh, <laughs> on top of, obviously, going back just a few minutes ago and listening to his 
wonderful rundown that Jose did. If you want to hear more about just his acting, you can listen to our Oppenheimer episode. Boom, knock that out. Knock that out. Portraying the psychic Mrs. Reynolds is Michelle Yeoh. You can listen to our Transformers Rise of the Beast episode to hear her resume. Boom, knock that out. All right, now to the cast that we haven't covered in any other movies yet, to my knowledge. Uh, Starting with Tina Fey is Ariadne Oliver. Uh, She is an author, kind of like Agatha Christie, who writes some of these murder mysteries, and a friend of Hugh Puroi. She is most known, most definitely, for her work on Saturday Night Live with its weekend update, helping run that show, as well as then doing the series 30 Rock, which clearly was inspired by her time at SNL, or more or less just her time at 30 Rock and how it goes to produce all that stuff. But for films, she has appeared in, and I believe helped write some of Mean Girls. She also appeared in Man of the Year, Baby Mama, Date Night, Megamind, Muppets Most Wanted, Sisters, Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, This Is Where I Leave You, and is recently in the most recent season of Only Murders in the Building, that being the hit series with Steve Martin, Martin Short, who apparently has a hit piece out on him for some reason, and Selena Gomez. Uh-huh. Uh, starring as Olga Semenov is Camille Cotton. Uh, she is a French actress known for mostly for a lot of French productions. Not going to butcher those names, but you would have seen her recently in films such as Stillwater, House of Gucci, and Golda. Well, okay, most people probably didn't see that, but it was just recently showing in theaters. Uh, as well as series Killing Eve and Call My Agent. Playing Dr. Leslie Ferrier is Jamie Dornan. You, most people will know him from as portraying Christian Grey in the Fifty Shades of Grey films. Swoon. Swoon. I knew you were going to swoon. <laughs> I swoon too. Even though I haven't seen those movies, I swoon over him. Oh, they're so good. I've seen them a million times. I love them. I am surprised the Cinemascus in me hasn't gotten around to him yet. I've seen clips <laughs> at least. Uh, he's also been in Marie Antoinette. Uh, this is actually the 2006 film with Kirsten Dunst, not the mini recent miniseries that keeps coming up for some reason a lot on this show lately. Uh, yes. Is an anthropoid, The Siege of Jadotville, A Private War, Robin Hood. This was, I believe, the one with uh, Jamie Foxx and Taron Egerton. Taron Egerton. Egerton. Uh, yeah. Synchronic, Trolls World Tour, Wild Mountain Time. <laughs> Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, which I still have to watch. He was in Kenneth Branagh's Belfast, so that's most appropriate here. He was in the recent Netflix Gal Gadot film, Heart of Stone, as well as series Once Upon a Time, The Fall, and The Tourist, which, to my knowledge, has nothing to do with that really bland Angelina Jolie, Johnny Depp movie. How dare you? Oh, I, dare. I love I, that movie. I dare. That movie is so bland. Uh, oh, I love it. <laughs> his son Leopold Ferrier is Jude Hill who was also in Belfast he was the uh, child actor in the main child actor in that film he was also in the recent Dungeons and Dragons movie which we covered uh, but we just didn't mention him in that because it was a small role and Mandrake and is also in the Magpie Murders series portraying Nicholas Holland is Ali Khan you will have seen him seen them recently in Six Underground, The School for Good and Evil, as well as the Halo series, Red Rose, and Everyone Else Burns. Portraying Des- Desdemona Holland is Emma Laird, uh, up-and-coming actress, recently in the Mayor of Kingstown series and The Crowded Room. 
portraying Rowena Drake, love that name, is Kelly Riley, known for Pride and Prejudice, Mrs. Henderson Presents, Eden Lake, Me and Orson Welles, Sherlock Holmes, that being the Johnny Depp starring uh, Johnny Depp. Well, that's a different Sherlock Holmes. Whoa! The, Whoa! <laughs> the Robert Downey Jr. I think I just pitched the reboot for that series. The Robert Downey yeah, Jr. Man. starring Guy Ritchie directed Sherlock Holmes. Flight with Denzel Washington. A Single Shot with Sam Rockwell. Calvary, Heaven is for Real. Eli and the series Above Suspicion. Black Box, True Detective, Britannia, and Yellowstone. And then last- uh, By the way, yes, I was just going to say this. I love Taylor Sheridan. So Taylor Sheridan's the the director of, um, or he wrote and directed Sicario, Hell or High Water, um, Wind River. He's behind Yellowstone. I don't think he can write women, but she is incredible on Yellowstone. I know people say her character is hyperbolic and it really is just a man, um, a, a, a woman written as a man, but she is a force of nature in that show. And she's probably one of the reasons why it's a good show. Cause there's a, there's a lot of problems with that show. Anyway, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> and then lastly, let's see if I don't butcher I, both of these names, uh, portraying Vitali Portfolio. I don't think that's how it's supposed to pronounce this last name. Portfolio. 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 Uh, is Ricardo Scamarcio? Scaramouche, Scaramouche. Will you do the Fandango? Oh, man. Thunderbolt of lightning. Very, 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 very frightening. frightening. Yeah, my pronunciation is very, very frightening. I'm getting... Ricardo Scamarcio. Thank you. I'm getting called out. An Italian actor, if you couldn't tell, uh, mainly known for lots of Italian productions, and I'm going to stop butchering that language. And I will say you would have seen him recently in films such as John Wick Chapter 2 and Burnt. That is the... Uh, Chef film starring Bradley Cooper, which I haven't seen, but I'm pretty sure is loosely based on Anthony Bourdain, uh, as yes. well as the Master of None series, that being the Aziz Ansari series. So I think I think he's beautiful, and his character in John Wick Two was named Santino D'Antonio, but I always just called him Santino D'Antino because I thought <laughs> it, would, it would be much better. <laughs> would be. Santino D'Antino would be much better. Not Santino anyway. Portfolio. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I just thought the G was silent, maybe. Uh, yeah. So yes, it that could sounds, be. I guess <laughs> I don't remember them saying the last name that much in the film. So yeah, exactly, exactly. All right, so that will take us to our spoiler-free thoughts. I'm going to send it over to you, Jose. What are your spoiler-free thoughts of A Haunting in Venice, which appropriately is not named Halloween Party because, as you mentioned, has striking differences from that novella. Absolutely. So I. Okay. Um, all right. Jokes about Branna having no lips aside. I really do like him as an actor. I mean, I don't, uh, you know, it, gone are the days when like Dead Again really sort of set an impression on me and I found him very sexy. And we were talking about this before we recorded. Um, you know, my spank back eternally thanks him for his portrayal of Frankenstein with his like long blonde hair and his kind of soft but chiseled sexy shirtless body i just remember those images and i was like i don't care what happens in this movie i just i want to see that um but i love branna as an actor i i also happen to like him as a director it's just it's odd that he's directed things like jack ryan or cinderella it's it's very strange or thor right um but uh I did like Murder on the Orient Express, uh, serviceable. I liked that it was on 65 millimeter. I questioned whether 
you know, does the umpteenth retelling of Murder on the Orient Express really need a 65 millimeter and then like overloaded cast like it did? But it was actually enjoyable and I had a lot of fun. I liked him as Poirot. Um, I, however, I don't know. I'm coming around to enjoying death on the Nile as a guilty pleasure because it's it's a huge train wreck. But um, Which I is fitting love Gal because- Gadot. That's not the one set on the train. That's the one set on the exactly. ship. Exactly. <laughs> it's it's a shipwreck, actually. Um, but uh, I remember going to the theater and just like, because I love Gal Gadot. So I was really, really into that film. But it's it's middling. Um, so unfortunately, I kind of approached this movie as kind of like, who asked for this, right? Um, and, you know, it's I don't think Branna at all could have foretold that there would be you know, Project Popcorn and the streaming stuff and how it destroyed in some ways exhibition and then the pandemic. But going into this, I thought to myself, one, who asked for this? Um, uh, And I know that sounds really mean, but, you know, whatever. It's This is for, an, I guess, an older demographic because I can't imagine an 18 to 25 year or 18 to 35 year old that that key demographic wanting to see this over, say, a Ninja Turtles or or something else, but um, you know, that's fine. So I just sort of approach this as like, who was this for? And it's another mystery. Is this going to be engaging enough? And I will tell you, I you could probably hear my eyes rolling back in my head because the second shot of this film was a Dutch tilt, and I was like, ah, here we go, here we <laughs> go. Um, I mean, Harris Amberlakis also shot Thor, and who puts Dutch tilts in a comic book movie? Like there are so many in Thor, like it was obnoxious, but nonetheless, um, I actually kind of enjoyed the approach of this, this, I I will forever love a writer or a director who gives us a different kind of film in a trilogy. So we taught, we reviewed equalizer three and as much as it had kind of a different desaturated look and it happened in Italy, It was basically the same damn movie as the first film. Well, this one is so different from Murder and Death that I actually appreciated the effort that they took to give us some jump scares and even some scares that aren't jumps. They literally happen with no music. And I found myself screaming. Actually, I was the only one screaming in in the screening, but whatever, it's fine. Um, (laughs) But uh I thought it was atmospheric and effective and almost directed kind of like a horror film, like a hallucinatory horror film. Yes, I said hallucinatory, and it'll be like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge, nudge if you listen to our spoiler-free section. But other than that, I just kind of found this dull, right? So other than the the sort of banging haunted house stuff and the the wonderful way that the film has been shot... Um, although I, again, I was annoyed by the Dutch tilts and the fisheye lenses, but I think all of that was in service of the atmosphere and the sort of scariness of everything and the murder mysteries and the flashbacks and the switching of formats. As much as I loved all of that, I just, I just kind of found it dull. Um, and so even to the point where Poirot does what he does, which is break everything down and and finally point out who's doing what. Um, I just kind of was like, uh, uh, okay. So um, as a mystery goes, I think it it wasn't, it wasn't a bad mystery. 
Um, it was probably a little more convoluted than it needed to be. But then again, this is Agatha Christie, or at least the screen version of Poirot and those kinds of mysteries. Death on the Nile was way, way over convoluted than it should have been. Um, there are some surprises in the script uh, with regards to who's doing what. And there, uh, I think there was even a cinematography nod to uh, the fact that there might be a duo uh, sort of behind the scenes working some some shenanigans. I'll get more to that in the spoiler section. Um, and Branagh is actually pretty fantastic in this because he's playing almost like Denzel Washington in Equalizer 3. He's playing a Poirot that seems to be off balance, seems to be not himself, seems to be somewhat vulnerable. Um, and so I liked that he is not the superhero detective that he was of the other two films. I still am scratching my head over how Tina Fey found herself in this. And there are some moments in this film of comedy where I think to myself, did Fey, you know, improvise this or did she and Branna work together to sort of like add some funny beats to the script? Because you know, if you look close, you can almost see a little bit of a 30 Rock character in this that's sort of like snarky, whatever. Um, now, there is precedent in the Christie novels for her particular character, who is a friend of Poirot, who has, in fact, helped with mysteries. But she was never really a detective. She's always just an author. But I liked their relationship. And I liked uh, some of where her character goes. But unfortunately, and and I love Michelle Yeoh, like I, nobody can take away from her, her gravitas or what she brings to this. It's a really strong performance, but there is also a twin non-acting vortex of Jamie Dornan and whoever played the boyfriend, man, <laughs> those two could not act in this film. And uh, I don't know, there are some moments in here that are actually kind of laughable. Randy and I we're kind of like chuckling when we should not have been chuckling and giggling. Um, but all of that to say that it's serviceable. If you love the other movies, you'll get a lot out of this. I just kind of found it dull despite the stellar cinematography. I cannot say enough about how this film was shot. In fact, there's a closing shot where I was like, how did they do this? It turns out they used a balloon for that shot oh. um, because in the credits, there was something like, you know, balloon coordinator and camera balloon operator or whatever. Um, there are also some some clever drone shots in this film as well. <laughs> I just like um, this idea that there's a balloon coordinator on sets. Nothing to do with like balloon cameras, but they just bring balloons to like cheer up the cast. Like, hey, I can make you a balloon, right. a balloon <laughs> animal doggy. <laughs> Is there a clown coordinator too? Okay. They come on the set. Hey, um, but anyway, like I said, it's it it is beautifully shot, atmospheric. It's a it's an interesting departure from the the way the other films have been shot. But I just kind of found it boring and tedious, and something that you could either stream or wait for. So unfortunately for me, it's a soft skip. Okay, so. This is dull, but not the tourist. Got it. No, okay. <laughs> oh, okay, so I actually both set in Italy, by the way. Yes, they are. Uh, I will say right off the bat, I actually somewhat agree with you on the dull portion, but only in regard to the actual, strangely enough, the mystery itself. The whole bit of not so much is there actually a haunting. I thought that was kind of cleverly devised, but like actually going over, is it, you know, this 
haunting because of this, you know, daughter dying a year before and all that stuff, how that gets into, and we'll talk more about that in the spoiler section. That actual aspect is strangely enough, the least interesting of this movie, but I actually really enjoyed this more than I thought I was going to. Uh, I did not see the other two Brana adaptations of her Q films. I'd mentioned to you, Jose, off air. I had contemplated because I know I own murder on blue and I think I might have picked up death on the Nile. Um, even if not easy to find, but I decided against it because similar to how when we did Asteroid City, I told you, you know what? You haven't seen many Wes Anderson movies. Don't do your research. Let that be this fresh experience. And I knew that these, because I've, I've seen umpteenth, uh, at least a few of the adaptations of Murder. The same reason yeah. you were like, do I need to see another one? That's kind of why I held off on seeing that. And I've read that as well as a couple other Agatha Christie novel novellas. Not this one, though. I just, I don't know. The trailers weren't really doing it for me. Uh, so I kind of went in with the same thing. But Right with those Dutch tilts and all of that, I was on board with it because I realized not only is this going to be a great cinematic, like cinematography type treat, I I gelled really quickly with, oh, this is a love letter, almost a nice cheeky send up, but lovingly so to what you expect from murder mysteries, especially that of Agatha Christie's and film adaptations of that. This is a great example of it's not what it's about, it's how it's about it, and that's why I had fun with this movie. The actual mystery itself, I could give or take. I think Brana worked that to his favor, though, because this is about the craft. This is about all of those Dutch tilt angles, all of the crazy, like, oh, you thought it was this person, but wait, it actually is this. The almost ludicrous twists, but he hand-directs it in such a way, you had mentioned the humor with Tina Fey, where... The humor is not ever, like, every now and then it's overt, but it's never overbearing. That is delicately sprinkled in throughout. A lot of times the humor really just comes from little touches in the cinematography or just, like, the set pieces, especially with some of the gothic atmosphere. Um, I thought he did a really good job. We, we complained in Equalizer 3, and his cinematographer, I should say, that... That film, we understood that it was supposed to have a washed-out, desaturated look, but we wanted there to be a juxtaposition between the beauty of Italy and then the, you know, the drabness of this mafia storyline, and we never really felt that. He captures this from the opening until the end, as we're going into this little seance and this, you know, manner, basically, that they're going to eventually kind of stay locked inside of. Everything about it, it was so gorgeous. Like, it was a little overcast to give you the Halloween feeling but it never felt drab it felt really lived in and it's like i would this is the italy i want to visit and possibly you know retire in like her does and then that works in the juxtaposition of the storm going on i got caught up in this I, I was not necessarily looking forward to this i kind of was like i knew who this was marketed for in the sense i'm like definitely your older demographic and you need that but my first thought was like i think they've abandoned theaters outside of your like big hits like a top gun and considering the middling opening of this movie yeah probably is the case but i'm glad i saw this in a theater because i thought the grandeur of it was terrific on a big screen like you said some of the the jump scares which aren't too bad for somebody who doesn't like horror movies because this does definitely feel like that i remember when i saw a trailer for this actually before retribution that horrible horrible monday mystery <laughs> movie with liam neeson one of the uh the older folks sat down the road from me after the trailer for Haunting Venice, I said, oh, interesting, Tina Fey's doing a horror movie. And it's not, but it kind of is, because it's throwing in those little jump scares and it's, you know, little tingencies in there. But it's very, almost rudimentary, but it's having so much fun with that and the way that everything is shot and the way that these characters act. I agree with you 
I guess to a degree with Dornan and them, they are definitely the weakest aspects of this cast, but there's almost a part of me that thinks we were kind of meant to laugh at them, or at least I took it that way, as like this kind of yeah. parody, but it still shows when you have somebody like Branna, and honestly, even Tina Fey. I was worried about her going into this, because mostly what we know her for is comedy acting, which is still a skill. Most actors will tell you it's hard to do comedy, but then I thought, I haven't seen Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, which I heard, you know, decent things about her performance, but I did see This Is Where I Leave You, which it's, you know, pretty much run-of-the-mill dysfunctional family drama that worked for me, and she's actually good in that. And I think, for the most part, she walks this tightrope of being almost the comic relief, but being her Kuehl's friend, she kind of makes it work. In the moments, like those moments in the trailer that I was like, oh, is this going to be bad comedy, awkwardly timed? It works. She is like this almost comic relief, her and I liked the fact that she is kind of the person that's going to call out his egotism. That, you know, she is basically Agatha Christie in this movie. Like, dude, you're, <laughs> you think so highly of yourself. Why can't you just believe that? Ma- Even though she is the one here to debunk the, the mysteries of, you know, talking to the dead, she kind of takes to it a little bit too quickly. But even she's like, why can't you just accept that maybe something isn't solved by you? And as, as we deal with this idea that he might be dealing with, you know, a concussion or just obviously not being his own self, maybe you're not the Hercule. You had retired. Maybe you, we should just wait till the police arrive. He can't handle that. I like their chemistry together. That almost made me want to see the other two. Now I kind of want to see them less since you're saying they're not so much like this because I like this approach. I like this almost restrained, quieter murder mystery with a bit of a humor into it. I actually completely get where you're coming from with the dullness, but I it worked wonders for me. I had a pleasant time. There were some big laughs in this. There is a moment where... <laughs> Tita Fey, I'm going to ruin the best joke in the movie. The per- me and the person in front of me howled at this, where she said the kid was as appealing as chewing on tinfoil. My God, yeah. that caught me off guard. <laughs> yes. I, that was a great yes. line, and I'm stealing that. I'm sure that is an old <laughs> line that somebody came up with, but the way she delivered it was great. I can't gush over the look of this film enough. That's the real reason to see this. The look and sound design of this is impeccable. It's a fun little movie. Maybe, maybe arguably a little too long in the tooth. I don't think it's over like two hours or anything, but I think it's kind of what, an hour and 40 maybe, somewhere around there. But yeah. I, I caught myself enjoying this. Uh, similar to Last Voyage of the Minimeter, it's not reinventing the wheel, but it is reinforcing it. It's another one where I went in expecting to be bored by it, but came out pleasantly surprised. It's not great, but what it does, it does well. And I would give this a surprising watch. I actually had fun with this. Actually, I um, I hope it didn't seem like I was saying Tina Fey was terrible, um, because she is pretty fantastic in this. And but I see where I, you were coming from because I had that yeah, yeah. same thought. Yeah. In fact, I would. I looked at the poster and I was like, "Why does that look like Tina Fey?" <laughs> because they don't put the names on it. And then I IMDb'd it. and I'm like, Tina Fey. Like what? I mean, yeah. Um, I mean, to be honest with you, when I saw the trailers and her, her, she was in this. I'm like, that's an interesting choice. Now having seen the film, now yeah. I'm like, now I know why they chose her. She was probably one of the best choices for this. But yeah, I was kind of like, this isn't what I would expect her you know, to be it, especially this version. Cause I could have maybe saw her popping up in one of the other two adaptations as one of the more very over the top stereotypical characters, but yeah, she's not that, so to speak in this movie. So I I mean, I came in expecting that I was, I was worried. I liked Tina Fey, but I was like, Oh God, is this going to be bad casting and people are going to rag on her? Thankfully it worked out. So, so just to spice it up for anybody listening, since we have a split decision on this, whether you want to go, 
Um, I'm just going to say this. The casting of Tina Fey, by the way, I believe the casting director is Lucy Bevan, B-E-V-A-N. She's she's a fantastic casting director. Um, But I'm just going to, just to spice it up for the viewers who are still on the fence, I think they knowingly cast Tina Fey in the same way that they knowingly cast Harrison Ford in What Lies Beneath and relying on his pop culture cachet and the roles that they have previously played. And there's a specific decision why. I won't get into it, but um, we're obviously going to talk about it in the spoiler section, but that worked. And and again, we'll, we'll talk about that in the spoiler mm-hmm. section. But um, yeah, I just can't impress upon everybody how beautifully shot this is and how amazing the production design mm-hmm. is. I know I severed production design from this but the gentleman um from talking about that below the line um but the gentleman who was the production designer for this his name is um john paul kelly i mean it's from the venice setting to the insides of everything the basements all of that it's beautiful the way that he sets up because the halloween party in question starts you know it's a little kids Halloween party that turns into okay Michelle Yeoh comes when they show like pulling off the screen and they're doing basically what's like a haunted puppet show on this this the story of like this haunting of we'll get into the spoilers but of this I guess former child that's kind of haunting and taking the children from the city again I kind of thought as much as I loved the setup of that the actual story itself was eh but the way that they showed that puppet show and all the Uh, oh my god it was amazing I loved one I had a huge smile on my face watching that little uh and you know it's funny because it's total exposition but it doesn't feel like it because of the way that they've done it. <laughs> if you got to do exposition, that's that's a clever way of doing it because you get caught up just like you, you feel like the children in the audience. You're mesmerized by yeah. the simplicity of you know telling this haunted horror story, but with like what is basically puppet uh, hand puppets. But it's done so well. It looks so amazing, and it, this is such a crisp digital projection. Like this is a good case of how digital can look great, as great mm-hmm. as you know thirty five millimeter could look. Because sometimes it. It doesn't always, it can look phony, but here I thought it just, it felt very rich and lived in and you don't get that as often sometimes with digital. So chef's kiss on that. Yes, exactly. Um, so from, you know, unfortunately for me, it's, it's a soft skip for you. It's a watch. Yeah. Um, okay. So if you have not seen a haunting in Venice, we are going to. Poirot this bitch. <laughs> <laughs> or are we going to are we going to gondola our way to the to the spoiler section cuz I don't know if you saw if maybe it was one of the tabloids that was like saying what it's going to it's like it's haunting of venice uh is gondolaing its way to like 15 million opening and everybody's like what the fuck is that that doesn't make sense oh, it's, it's rowing its way it's not gondolaing its way. <laughs> How about Drowns in Venice Canal. Now, anyway, yeah, um, I mean, yeah, yes, it's not that we are gonna, opening. <laughs> we are going to spoil this in three, two, one. So Tina Fey, it turns out. So this is this is what I was kind of getting at. I don't know if you noticed this, but I picked up on it. In certain shots in the film, they focus on like these sort of like duos. So at one point, there are two statue heads on a table, and it's a male and it's a female. And then he looks at paintings and there's a male and a female duo. And um, so all these things were going on. And I was thinking to myself, hmm, they're hinting that there is a male or female duo behind some of these shenanigans. And it turns out 
that Tina Fey, um, who like her last three books as an author have not been successful. And so she and the bodyguard, um, um, Santino Dantino, I forgot what it, <laughs> portfolio, uh, portfolio bodyguard, um, they contrive Poirot to be there at this thing so that she can get quote unquote inspiration for her next book, but also try to get him to debunk the whole, like, you know, is she really a spiritual medium? And then the, 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 bodyguard guy is also somewhat involved in that as well so that was interesting because when when you cast tina fey you don't think of her as being somebody underhanded or shifty right and so that's what i meant by they cast her because you would never think Mm -hmm. that she was um not that she's a bad person like she certainly didn't have anything to do with the murder but she set it all up because she's trying to get inspiration she's also trying to dog Poirot in some ways and then write about him and get a successful novel. So what I liked about that, I didn't quite pick up on the the dual thing that you did with that. I actually think that's really great and want to go back to that. But I had a feeling, an inkling, and I was half right that she was behind it. I actually thought, even though it would have maybe been a little bit too obvious, I thought she wouldn't have been obviously responsible for the murder of, spoiler, well, spoiler, we're in the spoiler section of the daughter <laughs> question. Spoiler. But obviously the big yeah. thing, and it almost felt like a misstep at first because we don't get Michelle Yeoh that much, is her character gets killed. She gets pushed off the ledge, kind of similar to how the dog daughter did but instead of drowning she gets impaled in one of the statues uh they yes. are able to conceal like the gore of it because of the really nice shot uh raining sequence but i had actually a thought after a while because they had little hints of you know her showing like not just mentioning like you said the the three failed books but her kind of starting to get at odds with her and i was just and i swear at one point maybe i misheard it i thought she called him hercules not her at one point i wondered if that was oh. intentional to like show that she's like losing her grip on this so i had thought it was those two especially here in conjunction but i had actually thought she had maybe murdered michelle yo because now that it's possible that this is real she was like well there goes my book thing I like yeah. the fact that that's not quite it. Yes, she and that guy are behind it, but they were just behind setting all of this up to debunk, not the right. actual murder and everything else. So I liked that was kind of a clever way of doing it and then revealing that, oh, it's actually, and then that's kind of when I was like, oh my God, it's probably the mother then because that's what one of these types of stories would do. It was the mother and it was, but I even yeah. then I liked the fact that they're like, okay, the mother didn't actually intentionally murder her daughter. She was still a monster because the, the ex- fiance who was very over the top and that's kind of why i feel like he still didn't quite pull it off but i think that was meant to be this over the top caricature because it's like a soap opera at that point where it's like oh he can't you know he's not good enough and it turns out that the mother doesn't want to lose her daughter so she's drugging her daughter and what had intentionally happened was she put too much into this like concoction that she gets from the honey or this flower i don't know if i can't remember if it was honey or not um, it was honey. It was honey. Okay. And well, well, the honey derived from the flower, yes. which had poison qualities. Yes. Yeah. And she had accidentally yeah. put too much in. It was a mixture of her and unfortunately the basically almost kind of like the housekeeper. Unintentionally, the nanny, the nanny basically ways. gave yeah. too much and it the daughter was poisoned wasn't meant to so to cover it up the mother made it look like a drowning so and then made it look like oh well, it's probably like this very convoluted haunted house story of like there's this woman that comes back and she slashes the back and she's taking i think it's like you might have remembered it better is taking the children of the people uh i guess kind of like freddie yeah Kruger. so it's like 
yeah, it's like a children's curse. They put all the the doctor and the nurse had kind of gone crazy and put all the children in the basement and they died. And so as the people are being killed, there's a there's a nurse who got killed, you know, because it turns out the the psychic was a nurse, I guess, before she became like a psychic. And then the doctor gets killed, Jamie Dornan. And so they're like, ah, it's a children's curse. Ah, yeah. whatever, you know. So, but it's like, that's a convoluted way to. Yeah, but. I, and then she set it all up with this seance thing because she thought the psychic was blackmailing her, but in a crazy effing twist, it turns out the little boy was blackmailing her to get money because Jamie Dornan's character wasn't working as a doctor. They weren't able to pay their bills. So he was just like, I'll test this little, f- first of all, it should not be. Um, undersold that that little boy is so good in this. Yes. Um, he is fantastic. The relationship that he has with Jamie Dornan, who at first I thought maybe was a drug addict, but he clearly has PTSD um, because he freaks out. And I was like, why is he freaking out? But it's it's the it's the sound of the storm and like the foundation moving that makes him think of like the war, which is why he goes crazy and then beats up the other guy or whatever. But their relationship is actually pretty strong. And the kid, it turns out again, was the blackmailer, but because the mother was so paranoid, she thought that the psychic was doing it. So she invites them over and then it's this sort of confluence of like murder and crazy and and there's a there's a rabbit doll or, yeah. you know, and anyway, the reason but, Puro was able to figure it out is he's like because he remembers back to the the honey and all that and goes I'm seeing these these visions of these children not because there's a haunting but because I've been poisoned by this you know honey that is causing like you said earlier hallucinatory horrors uh, ding dong and um and, and by I the way this. I oh, I ahead. called the drugging because. As I said, everything in the visual narrative is very intentional. And so when he is like close up in 185.1 occupying the first half of the screen drinking a cup of tea, I was mm-hmm. like, he's been drugged. But they do they do go over – they do add in the fact that he dies for a second momentarily. Mm-hmm. Like he gets, he gets dunked in the – by the way, <laughs> I'm going to say – Thank you so much for shooting Ken Branagh tonguing an apple yes, underwater. I thought that, that was a very too. erotic <laughs> image for me. I was like, "Ooh, I kind of like this." Yeah. And then he gets like, you know, dunked in there and then almost drowned and he actually dies for a minute. So they they play around with that whole like, did I bring something back from from, you know, being near death or my concussion or whatever. But I called it. I was like, yeah. he, he's been poisoned. I, I, if it yeah. wasn't poison, I was definitely like, th- there's no way they're going to go with there's, this is actually haunted. It's, it's too grounded of a series for it to actually do that. It would have been really, honestly, I wouldn't have liked if they did that. So I'm like, if he hasn't been drugged, I was like, it's just going to be because he died and he's having those concussion hallucinatory things. And they're just, and I had thought, when I still thought it was Faye doing all of it, I thought it's like, okay, it's Faye playing on that. Cause she keeps bringing that up and kind of like, but she knows that if she needles him and says, Hey, you know, you're not yourself. You, you should like take it in. He's not going to like agree to that and be like, I'll wait till the police come. He's going to take that as a challenge. She's perp- and she is purposely needling him, but not quite the way I expected. And in any other kind of a murder mystery, a lot of these contrivances would have irked me. Because this is why I always had a friend that said, 
uh, any movie with a twist is the ones that I don't want to rewatch because I know what's going to happen. I'm like, well, if you're going to rewatch movies, which you should, but that would be the movie you should rewatch the most so you can actually see if it all makes sense. And go. I'm yeah. sure if I see this again, some of it might not, but I think that's part of the fun. Again, I think this is a love letter slash cheeky send up to what you expect from these kind of murder mysteries and some of that comes down to twist upon twist upon twist it's what glass onion was poking fun at so wonderfully and yeah. i what i like about this though is brana is still smart enough to throw in okay so the mother obviously the twist that she didn't intentionally murder her daughter but was making covering it up so she you know wasn't found out as being that person also she didn't try to intentionally drown Kenneth Branagh. He was wearing the mask that uh, the psychic yes. Michelle Yeoh was doing. And then she realized that and freaked out. So I like the fact that you still threw in the, well, in order for all of this to work, everything has to go according to plan. Well, he's already showing like this plan got screwed up from the start and that's everything's gotten bungled and everything else has, instead of being intricately planned, it's just everyone involved whether it be Faye trying to set things up or specifically the mother trying to save her you know name and get on blackmailed is now you know scrambling to to fix things and that's why you know people are dying in half-assed ways sometimes even as much as i love the wicked you know the the playing up this stuff having the doctor impale himself even i thought was a bit too much and way too okay so that was that was the other thing that we that Randy and i sort of laughed about i mean so he's 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 psychologically fragile and she plays on that but putting the knife up against yeah, the wall and then like Randy and I had to like laugh now. I no come on so funny um but uh the, it's funny you mentioned this because the other thing that I laughed about but then you're correct so you know, the 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 medium and, and Branna sort of um have like a, a tete-a-tete and Michelle Yeoh's scene in this where she like cries and does all this. She's fantastic, mm-hmm. okay? Oh yeah. But at the end of the scene, she puts the mask on and the robe on him, and she's like, go and have fun or whatever. So later in the scene, he's walking around still in the mask, still in the the cloak. And Randy and I just sort of like burst out into like giggling because we were like, why the fuck is he still walking around mm-hmm. like that? But it's, but again, it's a setup because when he gets like choked and killed, like immediately I was like, Oh, whoever the killer is thinks she's the, he's the medium or whatever, because that's the the mass that she came in. So yeah, it's, it's, it's all very, very intentional. And not only that, um, but I think that's why I'm thinking, I think we were supposed to intentionally be giggling at this because i can tell you right now my entire which wasn't a big crowd but you know decent handful of people we were giggling but it kind of giggling at but somewhat with like it was a fun type of giggling and that's why i was just like maybe my screening made me take to it even more like that but i'm like we are all kind of in on this having fun with the murder mystery tropes and just having fun with these characters and like look how ridiculous it is and only did she put this attire on him and she's just gonna wander around like quentin tarantino in that meme photo of just staring at random things in the house yes. but, I'm like, <laughs> but i don't i just i, I put a smirk on my face and i'm like he's got to be doing this intentionally because it is brand and i'm like he's playing with this so I, I think it was intentional if it wasn't i took it as such but yeah him like having fun with it and then like you said tongue given a, a tongue lashing to those apples was i was it, like oh ooh. yeah it answered the question does kenneth Branagh give rim jobs because <laughs> you know he may not have lips but he's yeah, got that tongue well, that, okay? you know what it's not a mustache that's all i'm gonna say <laughs> i know clutch clutch the popcorn baby yes uh, <laughs> and by the way here's here's one other thing i also wanted to say is that 
I don't know if you picked up on it, but he mentions something about loss and about Catherine, which is his wife. But it's really just a one-off. They don't really talk about it. It's mentioned between him and um, Tina Fey. But in the beginning of Death on, an, on the on, on Nile, Death on the Nile, um, there's a flashback to Poirot and his, uh, his military days. And then he meets his wife, Catherine, who is a nurse. And so I guess that's how it's the connective tissue to the other films talking about his little backstory or what have you. Um, but that was just sort of weird that they threw that out and then nothing ever came of it. And and you know what? And there's an issue with that. And there is an issue where they really bring up early on the theology and the religious aspect, him being an atheist and all that. And outside of it, just obviously playing because, you know, is it true or not? That really doesn't, like that falters. Like it barely gets mentioned in the second half. Like once all the crazy stuff happens, that disappointed me because you brought that up and then really did do much with it. I don't know. Yeah, and then you just dropped the thread. Yeah, yeah, I don't. What was the point? Out. It was it, that very much just felt gimmicky, and I kind of wish like don't don't ta- tantalize us with that and then do nothing with it. So there is aspects of this film where he's definitely, and I don't know if more was on the cutting room floor, or if maybe he decided to excise more of that stuff in the back half, but kept it in the beginning because it, it deals with exposition and the character's belief. But I'm like, at the, like the only thing is near the end, you still kind of get Faye and them being like, so do you believe? Well, I don't know. And I'm like, at this point, I'm like, he's not atheist. He's agnostic. As somebody who's agnostic, by the end of this movie, Hercule is an agnostic, but they don't really want to talk about that much. And it just, I don't know, why bring it up if you're not going to? Yeah. Yeah. And and one last thing. Um, I kind of enjoyed that, uh, you know, Mrs. Oliver and uh, Branna were kind of like the... Uh, Mulder and Scully of this uh, of this movie <laughs> so much so that it appears they made up at the end, even though she was you know uh, a little devious in setting this up and trying to embarrass him and get a novel out of it. I want to see another movie with the two. Yes, of them. and that's why I was actually really happy <laughs> that it ended up not being her like orchestrating the murder and that because I'm like. I just want to see these two keep doing this because they have such a fun chemistry together and those jokes and it feels organic to the material that I'm like, and it's a good balance. Like they both have egos to them, but their egos are handled in a different way that they almost balance each other out. And like they call each other out and I'm like, you can yeah. have a really fun dynamic. And honestly, I wouldn't like to go back to the to child actor. It's always hard with them. I mean, kids can unintentionally be annoying, especially when adults are scripting them. And on the surface, this kid probably sounds like he would be annoying he's like he he thinks to him you know he thinks highly of himself he acts like a little adult but he does it he's so reading well. a book at a halloween party he's reading he's a, reading a which, book at a halloween which party. to be fair i would also probably be reading poe at a halloween party so <laughs> but it's so on the nose but the kid is so good i not only his relationship with dornan but the the budding relationship he ends up getting with Hercule, especially because he yeah. does believe in this afterlife and there was a part of me i'm like they're not going to do it but i'm like if they had the balls what to if make, he's the killer I, I was like make him the killer make him like he pushed michelle yo because like he was making this act because he did not like her because he was like you're trivializing this conversations with the dead make it just that he's like oh i have this relationship with the dead and you're trivializing it and i was like do it do it but they didn't but i was fine with it because i was like i don't i wouldn't mind this idea that he comes back and he's like mini mini me version of hercule like he grows into that um but you know what's interesting is that I was kind of going there too. Like, what if the kid killed Michelle Yeoh, right? Mm-hmm. But they pay that off 
enough in the script by telling you he's clever enough to quote unquote test his theory and send the blackmail letters to the mother and then get money out of it and yeah. keep doing it. And, keep doing so, it. and then like, even, wow. even though I did not like her assistants, I thought they, they were very forgettable. I did at least kind of like the tying that together and that they wanted to go to America and they wanted to go to St. Louis yeah. because they saw the first half of meet me in St. Louis. I'm like, yeah, it's a great film, but all right, we'll go home and we'll watch it. But you got to stop bludgeoning us as this. Um, yeah, but I exactly. did like the oh. fact that, he did give some of the money to like, and then the nanny comes in and goes, Oh, you're going to America. You're not coming home with us. You know? Exactly. Um, also on what planet are they brother and sister? Yeah. I, I half, not even half step maybe like, no, I know uh, her cue was now like, they both adopted. Yeah. Adopted. Exactly. <laughs> Ooh, you have the same bullshit. They have the same eyes. How the dare same you? eyes. First of all, the one guy is like Czech and Mediterranean skin. And she is like, a daughter of Ron Howard, <laughs> pale skin and red hair. Yeah, in fact, a, I thought I I thought maybe she was Bryce Dallas Howard's sister or yeah, something. I but thought so no, too. Not, I not, but didn't. And I kept honestly those two. I kind of kept forgetting about. I didn't like, and they were honest. They were just there for me to be the scapegoats of. Oh, you think it's them because they tried to run when they were getting, you know, yes. questioned. And it's just it's one the, of those. And they kind of do it because even Hercule and Tina Fey were kind of both like, well, it's probably not them, even though they ran. And because I'm like, it's way too obvious if it was them and it was the psychic. And there's no way Hercule would think this. So I'm just going to say Zambra Locus and Branna clearly have a sense of humor because they are, you're right, they're the easy scapegoat, right? But She's literally a red herring. Yeah, she she is. She's she's me. Apparently. She's got a red dress. She's got red hair. Well, maybe this is a good time to reveal, folks, that I have found out uh, through the Maury Povich show that Ron Howard is my father, <laughs> and that is my sister. You're uh, Ron Howard. You're the father. <laughs> But again, oh my this is fun though. I, I, I had, I was not expecting, I fully expected that at most I would give this a soft skip and I was expecting to come out kind of like you were thinking it's kind of dull and rudimentary, but man, the craft behind this, it won me over. I had so much fun. It reminded me. And you know, I have mentioned in the past on this show, I think it was on Renfield when I had mentioned Kenneth Branagh chewing the scenery in a bad way in wild wild west and i brought that up because i think nicholas cage knows how to chew scenery this is how i think kenneth Branagh can chew scenery he does it in a reserved way that still plays up to his skills as because he's a very talented actor i will say it, it yeah. is strange that i've kind of fallen off just because even though i enjoyed thorin um i think that's it. i don't know if i've seen his other hollywood uh films but I, we were talking before hand he feels like he became a director for hire and even as an actor outside of oppenheimer up until like belfast even when he popped up in films it was just like oh just star in, like give some gravitas to a role in harry potter or jack ryan movie or something like that where i'm like i feel like you've been wasted um and maybe we could argue it was the start of wild wild west probably not um probably not but but, <laughs> but it's I do forget how good of an actor he can be. And I'm like, this is how you choose scenery, dude. You play up what people expect from you is this refined English trained, classically trained actor, but then you just tilt it a little bit and do a little bit of a nick, nick, nudge, nudge 
twist your little mustache, your shit stash, but don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't do it too much. I really enjoyed him in this. I loved this as- this version of Hercule. I actually don't know if I want to watch the other two now because I want this version more and more, not over the time. Like, I just like this, this version. This one is a huge outlier compared to the other two. Yeah. Huge. And this is but, this uh, was a better way of doing, because there's so many similarities to Equalizer 3. Set in Italy, like you said, these skilled... Uh, in this case, a detective, that case, more like an assassin, but at the tail end of their careers, they're kind of in retirement. They're, you know, whittling down, um, passing the torch to a degree to like younger folk. Yeah. Uh, but I just thought this one, it's craft was so much better. And even the Washington's performance was great in equalizer. I actually had more fun with Brana. I, I, I really like this. And I, it's funny that you mentioned the differences between this and Halloween party. Cause I haven't read that novella, which is surprising. Cause I do occasionally enjoy these Agatha Christie murder mysteries and anything set during Halloween always gets my attention. But somebody had asked when I posted the capsule review, well, how much does this, you know, differ from the original source material. I'm like, I don't really know. So he was like, well, here's the, you know, plot synopsis. And I'm like, yeah, the only things that retain are drowning. And that's basically in a, in a child. And that's basically a few about, characters names. Yeah. That's, that's basically it. it. Everything else is kind of different, <laughs> which I guess the fact that they called it a haunting in Venice instead of Halloween party gives that away. Um, yeah. But I thought it worked. And honestly, sometimes Granted, I didn't get to read the novella yet, but I kind of like it when adaptations do that. Take maybe not going this different, but I've read the book or I've read the source material, have it with comic books all the time. I don't want to just see that live action because you're not going to match what my imagination came up to. Do something a little bit different. And maybe that's why I was underwhelmed by my best friend's exorcism because it really did just felt like... These are the aspects of the very good, surprisingly really good novel. And we're just going to take some of the tidbits of it, the cliff notes, and do it as a movie. And I'm like, it lost some of its yeah. soul, you know? So if y'all didn't pick up on it, uh, me describing Michael Green, I-, I think he's a fantastic writer. And it should not be undersold that he did a bang up job of reimagining the story, basically, because it, this is. It's essentially just uh, a Christie film movie, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the fact that he had the, I like that that there were Christie estate consultants because they brought in Mrs. Oliver, who is featured in like I think it's like three or four novels actually, um, with the Poirot character. But I mean, they did a bang up job of just reimagining, rewriting this thing and and making it interesting. And you know what? Um, let me just, I'll mention two other things and then we'll get to our final verdicts. One, um, I brought up Catherine in the backstory of um, Poirot and his um, army days. So uh, I just remembered, I just remembered that in the beginning of Death on, um, on the Nile, it's Catherine, the nurse, because uh, Poirot gets blown up and he has scars and she suggests to him growing the mustache to hide the scar. Mm. And so that's where the famous mustache comes from or what have you. But um, the other thing I was going to say was that your enthusiasm for this film almost, almost moved the needle, but it's still a soft skip for me. Uh, Well, it is still a watch for me. And before we get to the wrap up, a thought just occurred to me because I was thinking again about Glass Onion. Do you think that maybe this is a response to Knives Out and Glass Onion? Because I think of like... 
how the James Bond films responded to Austin Powers. Die Another Day really played, I mean, they always had humor, but I feel almost really played up the ridiculousness of it. And some people felt like maybe that's because the Austin Power films were so successful at parodying James Bond and all those spy movies. And then you yeah. get the Daniel Craig ones, which just go in the opposite direction, deathly serious for the most part. Do you think yeah. that this was their way of being like, well, Knives Out and especially Glass Onion have, you know, kind of poked fun or poked holes in a really clever way at what you expect from Agatha Christie novels and at movie adaptations. I almost wonder if A Haunting of Venice is a slight way of like accepting that, but not going fully over the top with it. Do you, do you think that might be oh, yeah. the case? Yeah, I I think absolutely the case. Look, look, let's look. We talked about Michael Green's resume. He took to task writing a sequel to Blade Runner. How can you do that, yeah. right? And so I think with him and Branna together, I think they realized we can't just do Death on a Nile again, which was basically just like Murder on the Orient Express, right? A, a loaded cast, pretty visuals, and you know whatever. We can't do that again. We've got to do something different to spice things up. So yeah, I think it. I think it was a direct response to how do we make this different to draw people in, you know? Okay. Um, so, yeah. Nice. All right. but, well, I, I think, I know you're sticking with your soft skip. I'll stick with my watch, but I think over time you might, you might turn on this. I might get you. I might, I might I, needle you. Know you. I, I, yes, I may, I may get needled. We've coined yeah. another phrase. Yes. <laughs> Strangely enough, you're the one who needles the most. I, on str- our show. I know, which is very, I, I figured it would yeah. be the other way around, but, uh, yeah, no, I, no, no. I guess it's the lawyer in me. I have yeah. to, whatever, whatever the defense is, I go through it. <laughs> yeah. There's no needling. <laughs> I, so. like I like it. <laughs> well, if you have a difference of opinion over a haunting in Venice or a Halloween in Venice, maybe, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> you can certainly reach out to us. We have social media presence, our Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it. Uh, you can also email us at watchskipplus, spell out all the words at gmail.com. Also, don't forget, you can record something and maybe send it to us. Don't do the leave a message for me on Spotify for podcasters. It doesn't work. But wherever you are, wherever you're listening to us, please make sure you leave a review. Again, we hope it's a five-star review, but if you have critiques, we would welcome them. This is how word gets out about our lovely, humble little podcast. And just in particular, uh, and I, again, I keep forgetting, I did not put this in the last episode when I was talking about our super fans, but somebody did leave a review for us late July on Apple Podcasts. And this was from... Ahab Shud, I hope hopefully I'm saying that right, but it's spelled A H H U B S H D. Ah, Hub Hubs H D. Anyway, uh, he left <laughs> us a review that says, uh, great show. It's a five-star review. And I quote, love how the host tell it like it is. Not only do you get great reviews of the latest movies, but you get some insight to some other media that's come out lately with the plus listening sometimes feels like having those great conversations about movies with close friends and, and sometimes feels like a very entertaining lesson about things you never thought about. So Ahab's HD, we love you. Thank you so much for leaving that review. And you know, his comment is wonderful because I think, that's something we've always strived for with this podcast, which is to have kind of a conversational tone, despite our 
diversions. Yes, um, which I mean, conversational... helps, honestly sells the conversational tone because yes, every conversation absolutely. has its diversions. But yeah, I think just to parrot what you're saying, that means a lot, not just because it's a very kind review, but it's it's showing that what we are attaining to be, we are actually succeeding at. Um, if we were ever to make a press release, I mean this in all sincerity, that review would definitely be on there because I think that sells our show better than any words that we could come up with. And then yeah. a hubs HD sounds like the reboot of pimp my ride. Ah, oh, hubs they're in HD now. Ah, oh, hubs <laughs> HD. <laughs> <laughs> or what is it? MTV cribs, whatever. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> MTV hubs. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> so if you love us, you will certainly love our Podfathers, the gentleman's guide to midnight cinema and not a bomb. Actually, I was just recently on and just freshly released the Breaking Brad episode of Not a Bomb, um, that edition where we watched a horrific film <laughs> called Love on a Leash. Um, it is uh, that movie. If you want to scar your eyeballs and give up film. Literally, Samurai from the GGTMC was like, uh, I'm giving up film after this movie. You might want to check it out. Which I saw his post on that on his uh, Facebook, and I believe it. And <laughs> so he shares the IMDb, and I haven't even seen this movie yet. That's that's how brave you guys are. That thing has an 8 out of 10 on IMDb. <laughs> so what, what had happened was... Somebody who reviewed the film and was like, this is utter dog shit, pun intended. He encouraged his uh, his followers to go on and um, give it a high rating. Oh, that's amazing. I love that guy. Yeah. That guy is the yeah. ultimate troll. That, that's something I would do. Oh, man. I will probably eventually see this. The Cinemascus did me, especially now that it made Sammy want to give up film. But yeah, my exact comment when I saw you guys were reviewing us I was like dude even i'm not i haven't seen this yet you poor soul please don't friends and listeners please don't you will absolutely regret the experience it is it is streaming on tubi if you do want to catch it i will um, say this also, once once monday masochism comes back that's that fun streaming party where we watch terrible movies this is now front runner for when that returns please eventually. do i will i will join you for that one um also additionally i should be uh, guesting. Hopefully, we're gonna. You and I are gonna be on Gentleman's Guide, and then also I will be on the Breaking Brad episode where we take on Labor Pains, starring Lindsay Lohan. That's coming up as well. Um, also, the the original, the OGs, Night of the Living podcast, and then here are some other podcasts you would love: Wild Dream podcast, Daniel and David. We love those guys. They also celebrated their recent one year anniversary. Death by DVD with Harry, Raiders of the podcast with kevin backlook cinema podcast with zoe vhs files those guys joshing around with josh and eric and i can't remember the third oops sorry uh cult of muscle feminine critique married with clickers and red we hope that you love our conversational style you never skip you always listen and you remember that you are the plus and we also hope that your dreams are now filled with Kenneth Branagh tongue-punching a bowl of apples. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. That if I can, I'm going to screen cap that image and it's going to be like my wallpaper <laughs> yes. for my computer. <laughs> uh, also, friends and listeners, please don't blackmail mediums um, as, a, as, a, as a source of income. It just, it just doesn't work. Yeah, I think this was the only time that it actually worked. Yeah, <laughs> yes. And don't bob for apples this don't, Halloween. Yeah, just tongue punch them. 